0: I'm recording this from New York City, one of my favorite cities in the world. I used to live here uh, before Covid. I lived here for about four or five years. I'm walking up third on the corner of 12th and 3rd, and to my right as I walk up, uh, you have East Village, a wonderful, vibrant, young part of the city. Many students living there. To my left, we'd be getting into Greenwich Village, and then West Village. Which is, and, and I lived right at that boundary between Western Greenwich Village. I love that part of town. Uh, to my north, we're getting in a little bit lower, but we would be getting into crossing 14th with Union Square Market. Wonderful, wonderful parts of town. Very active, as you can hear. I'm passing through restaurants that are now situated on the street because of COVID. And I love the fact that they maintain that culture mix me um, think about Europe, the wonderful aspects of Europe, being outside, dining outside, Well, New York has maintained that. Uh, There's 18 wheelers passing, cyclists delivering food. Uh, I love the madness of New York. It made me think once upon a time that New York is effectively Burning Man if it didn't end and you had to start making money. What's fascinating is New York was founded not by the Puritans, it was founded by um, the Dutch. Uh, And it was originally called New Amsterdam. And at that time, New Amsterdam was actually, or rather Amsterdam, was the seat of religious freedom. Uh, Anyone could come and practice their religion in Amsterdam as long as they swore allegiance to Amsterdam itself. And that's who founded uh, New York. And that, that sense of openness, and acceptance is still here I call it the host effect well the reason why I'm recording this from uh, this episode or into this episode from you is I'm reminded of a time when I lived here and I was walking up one of the main avenues maybe it was 6th maybe it was 7th and a guy passed me on a bike I know was mid-20s uh, and he was riding upright Uh, with his hands off the handlebars, swerving across the lanes. Fortunately, there weren't any cars just at that point because of the red light. And he was passing through red lights. Uh, He had big headphones on, so you could tell that the music was really blaring inside his headphones, inside his mind. He was actually dancing on his bike to the music. And his eyes were closed. And not for a second, but for many seconds. And it reminded me, or made me think, that the only reason why this person wasn't, wasn't dying had nothing to do with him. It had to do with the people around him. They were looking after him. His brain had an an implicit assumption. And that implicit assumption was that he wouldn't be hit. Uh, And that's actually true at a much more fundamental level. There's a lot of conversation now about the idea of biases uh, and it is true that our brain has biases, but they're often thought about in a negative sense. Um, and this isn't actually the case. Uh, biases and assumptions that are deeply encoded in our brain are essential for survival. We could not live without them. Every time I'm taking a step, my brain has on hundreds of assumptions that uh, my legs aren't going to give away, my floor, uh, the floor's not going to give away. In fact, I'm standing right now, I'm purposely standing on a grate, and below this grate is underground. <coughs> And then stepping on it, I have an assumption that it's not going to fall. Okay? Every one of these cars that I see, a bus just passed by, um, and there are people, it's just right on the edge of the road, it's passing literally within a foot and a half of those people. Those people have an assumption that the bus isn't suddenly going to sort into them. Uh, the chair that you sat on, you had an assumption that it wouldn't give way. Um, that These buildings are not going to collapse, that the food that you're going to eat is not tainted in some way. Okay. We put our lives in other people's hands literally hundreds if not thousands of times every single day. We could not live, we could not even take a step without these assumptions and biases. So the question, and the deeper question is not whether or not we have them. The question is whether or not you're aware of what they are. Because it's only in having that self-awareness of what your assumptions and biases are That you have the possibility of seeing differently and that's where deep self-honesty lives it's an acknowledging that you have them and more importantly it's acknowledging and discovering what they are so that you have the possibility of challenging them questioning them and many times of course the answer is going to be actually i want this assumption biases it's good for me it keeps me alive and, and then hold on to that but assumptions and biases can also constrain our behavior because our brain never makes big jumps and it only ever makes small steps. It only ever steps to the next most likely possible. And what is possible for you is determined, shaped by those assumptions and biases that come from your history, much of which was actually inherited. So this is what this episode is about, that we put our lives in the hands of other people all the time and it makes me wonder, what would happen if we actually lived life without awareness explicitly rather than implicitly? Would we engage with different people, uh, with ourselves, um, differently?
1: I hope you enjoyed the
0: episode. Visual acuity is measured with what's called a Snellen chart, where black letters of progressively smaller size are printed in rows on a white page. The phrase 2020 defines normal vision, which means reading text at 20 feet that a person with normal vision can also read at, well, 20 feet. The year 2020 was a year of increased clarity, but for reasons that no one had anticipated. As of today, the time of actually writing this, over 2,240,000 people have lost their lives to COVID-19 many, many more have lost their livelihoods, their families, and their realities. When the human brain faces the clarity that we are only biology, and that our biology, like all life, must also follow the second law of thermodynamics, perceptual blindness is reduced, and the possibility for clarity increased, if only for a moment. Perceptual blindness is a veil that is often chosen more than imposed, A choice to look towards manufactured priorities and identities and away from natural truths. One reason is uncertainty. When we encounter truths that challenge what we thought to be important, especially those to which we have tied our identity, it increases the greatest of uncertainties, the uncertainty of self. But sometimes life forces open the veil. And when that happens, you have a choice. The year 2020 lifted the veil for many once lifted many had the courage for the implicit to become explicit in their lives more people changed jobs ended marriages and started new ones and moved to wildness than in any time in recent history basic truths of life love and work that were always there became clear that giving to others has always reduced your anxiety more than focusing on self even in the spirit of spiritualism That touching and being touched in the context of care has always been essential for your well-being. That loving and being loved has always enabled you to thrive within uncertainty. That wisdom through self-honesty has always created more possibility than blind delusion. That we are not observers of nature, but evolved extensions of it. That we are defined through interaction, not by our essential properties. And finally, that trust in others has always been essential for every step you've taken. Which brings me to the point of this episode. Adventure is trust manifest. After five days cycling from Seattle, to San Francisco by Boneshaker, I had reached the north shore of the Columbia River. 32 years previous, when I had first made this crossing, there was a wee ferry with enough room for a few cars and cyclists. But like many things that have more intrinsic value than financial, the ferry became extinct, making the 6.5 kilometer Astoria Bridge the only route for bikes to the northwestern corner of Oregon. The bridge is not short because the mouth of the Columbia is not narrow, but its lanes are. The shoulder is about a half meter wide, I'd say, which is about the width of a bike with panniers. To its right is a cement rail, to its left a 10-centimeter white line, a conceptual barrier between you and the cars and trucks. The Mad Maxian logging truck tires pass you at 60 miles an hour at arm's length. Their drivers have no room to deviate since the traffic in both lanes is continuous. You are fully exposed by the enclosure. Your task is to go straight while gusts of winds hit you from passing vehicles on the left and off the Columbia River on the right. Then there are the cormorants. As seabirds, their habit is to fly close to the water's surface, so when they encounter a low bridge blocking their path, they fly upwards but remain proximate to the bridge's surface, straight into the windscreen of speeding cars and trucks. On the day of my crossing, there were a hundred dead cormorants in different stages of decomposition lying within the 500 centimeter shoulder. They were pushed there by the constant movement of vehicles. Cormorants are not small. Their carcasses are feathered mounds four inches high by two feet long. You cannot ride over them without falling. You must avoid them and thus ride on the 10 centimeter white line, the cyclist type rope, where the threat is not the void below, but the ton of metal moving at speed to your left. You must place your body and bike in the same space as cars and trucks that you cannot see coming up from behind you. And just to complete the picture, there's the smell. As it was a hot summer's day, the air was infused with the cologne of exhaust and rotting flesh. The feeling of crossing the Styx River located in the underworld created a sardonic smile across my face. The Styx River separates the living from the dead. In order to cross into Hades, i.e. Oregon in this instance, the dead person must pay the ferryman, Charon. But Charon will only take the dead across if the correct fee is paid. Those who are unwilling or unable to pay the fee are forced to wander the river's banks as a wraith for a hundred years, if not for eternity. When a god swears on the river Styx, they are bound to keep that oath or else be paralyzed for a year and a day and risk being excommunicated from Mount Olympus to have their immortality given to another god. So, even gods fear ostracization, just like wild dogs. Wild dogs, if they misbehave, aren't killed by the pack. Like the gods of Olympus, they are excluded from it, since death follows exclusion. This is likely to be one reason why social networks are devastating our young people, indeed society with anxiety. Social networks feed off the evolutionary threat of exclusion. Like all bridges in life, literal or metaphorical, you must pay a price. And once paid, there is only one thing that enables you to cross, trust. Trust in others, as the dead trusted Charan is why you are alive right now and why you will continue to survive every moment of the rest of your life until you too meet Charan. Your brain came into the world trusting, it had to. Right now, while you're reading this, you are probably sitting in a chair of one form or another. Before sitting, did you check to make sure It'd take your weight. Why not? Because your brain trusted it would. But maybe you'll say, well, I know this chair. I've sat in it a hundred times before. True. But what about the chair in the cafe you've never sat upon? What about the food you ate in that cafe? Did you get out your microscope and make sure it wasn't covered in E. coli? What about the floor of your home upon which you're sitting right now? Did you personally check the engineering drawings or the drawings of the roof overhead? When you drive, are you not trusting that those driving in the opposite direction will stay in their lane or that they won't pass through a red light while you pass through the green? If you've never considered this before, then pause and consider the hundreds, if not thousands of actions and situations that you experience every single day in which your physical and emotional well-being, indeed your life, is placed in the hands of others. In the hands of the person who built your chair, the gas heating system, your home, the grower of your foods, the provider of your water, your doctor, your lover, and in my case, when crossing the Astoria Bridge, the drivers of trucks and cars. I trusted their physical ability, patience and kindness, or at least tolerance, in avoiding the intrusion of a cyclist who is trying to avoid dead cormorants across a narrow bridge with no shoulder en route to San Francisco for no apparent rational reason. Each passing car and truck was a potential death warrant. As each warrant passed, I felt a brief moment of nervous gratitude for their ability, patience, and kindness were not owed to me. Instead, as in all relationships, no matter how brief, vulnerability is a humble request, a request for trustworthiness, if only for a second or a lifetime. Sure, it could have been different, that I, as a cyclist, had as much right to the road as did they, and while this perspective of entitlement might be legally true, how does entitlement make crossing bridges in life, love, and work more likely to succeed? Entitlement fosters expectation and disappointment, whereas trust fosters gratitude and optimism. When you trust another, And that trust is matched with action and not just words. Your brain receives an intrinsic reward, a brief moment of pleasure induced by the release of specific neurotransmitters that increases the bond between you and that person or object. Remember, your perceptual brain is looking through nature, not at it. You're seeing through nature's mind, which learned that living requires others. None of us can survive on our own. Never could. And evolution knows this. During evolution, being social wasn't a choice for your ancestors. Much like the gods of Olympus or wild dogs, if your ancestors weren't part of a group, they and their genes were removed by natural selection. You exist only because their neural wiring favored interdependent perceptions and behaviors. Because you're looking through the genes, eyes and brains of your ancestors, you like them perceive the importance of reliability in action. You, like them, perceive the importance of honesty in action. And it's why you, presumably, like them, perceive authenticity to be one of the most attractive attributes of another person in friendship, love, and parenting. Children who trust their parents feel more secure in themselves. Of equal importance, which is too often forgotten, children who feel trusted by their parents are also more likely to thrive. What is true for individuals is also true for institutions, employees and brands that are trusted are more productive and collaborate better, much like members of a tribe. They stay with their employers longer and suffer less stress. They actually perceive their lives to be happier and more creative. So we're wired to trust as the engine of humanity. It's remarkable how little most of us are explicitly aware of how omnipresent trust is in our lives. Google search trusting others and you'll see thousands of entries about learning to trust. But you don't. You came into the world with it in the form of oxytocin. The more you trust, the more this neurotransmitter and hormone is released by your cells, which increases empathy towards others. Whereas the stress of uncertainty decreases oxytocin release and thus trust and empathy. Trust is not something that you gain. It's something you lose and when you lose it, you lose more than trust. You gain fear, anxiety, and suspicion. Sowing the seeds of distrust, especially for one's own gain is as in recent US presidential politics is cruel. It changes your brain's chemistry and wiring, removing the foundation from which your brain is able to step, but step it must. So when trust is lost, so when trust is lost or is taken from you, your brain will create it. Even in places where evidence is contrary to future predictability, your perceptions and behaviors can become grounded on anything but the ground itself. It becomes grounded in conspiracy or in political demigods. And amongst its personal and social devastation, COVID offered the potential to see more clearly that your life depends on the trust of truth. But you'll not see this lesson if you haven't seen the other, humility. Many of those who suffered the worst from COVID, including those who initially denied its existence, speak of their humility. And from their humility arose the ability to see, to create, to better care for oneself and for others. In 1921, a child who would grow into Captain Sir Tom Moore was born. 99 years later, During the UK's first COVID-19 lockdown, Captain Tom, as he became to be known, decided to walk the 25 meters around his garden 100 times, not for himself, but to celebrate and support those who support others. At 99, he had the humility to see the truth of our existential biology, of the second law of thermodynamics, of the connectedness of nature. His hope was to raise £1,000 for the people who are the UK's National Health Service. He did a great deal more. In the end, he not only raised £33 million, he also raised the awareness of the value of acting according to one's trust and truth. At the time of writing this, the day before, at 100 years old, we lost Captain Sir Tom Moore. He has started his journey across the River Styx, back to the Earth to the sky, to nature. While the energy of his biology will re-infuse the world around us, the energy of his spirit will infuse the world within us. Of the importance of lifting the veil to what is true, of trusting others that they too will see the importance of adventuring a hundred times around a garden for others. Thank you for listening.
1: My name is Bo Lotto
0: and thank you for listening to my Expanding Perception podcast, which will be an ever-expanding story of the neuroscience of uncertainty and how we can not just cope with it, but expand because of it. My aim in creating this podcast is really to try to help you increase your perceptual intelligence, which will give you the ability to make the decisions and take the actions that will foster a more loving, adaptable, and optimistic life in an increasingly uncertain world. My hope is that this podcast will help you in your journey to self-honesty, which is one of the hardest journeys we can take in our life since it's a never-ending practice and might take you to places that you might want to avoid. But if you have the courage and compassion to go on this journey, you'll find that it's worth it and it will create true authenticity in your way of being. A deeper consideration of many of the ideas in the Expanding Perception podcast can be found in my book, Deviate, The Creative Power of Transforming Your Perception. You can also follow me and my Lab of Misfits on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also take part in experiments on the Lab of Misfits website that we've designed just for you to help you better understand who you are. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy these episodes.